Our reading today is from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. If you're reading from the Black Bible, underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 900. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Hey, y'all. Um, uh, so this is uh, Pastor Brian Hubert. He's one of the pastors here at the church. Um, while our lead slash teaching pastor, John Davis, and them got delayed um, and couldn't fly out of New Jersey until 6 a.m. this morning, so we'll be back sometime today. So um, one of the things we're doing is just that Brian's going to get to preach today um, on servants. So I want to go ahead and pray for him, and then he'll let her rip. Um, Father, I just thank you for um, my friend Brian. God, I just thank you for the years that I've gotten to do life with him and the way that he has served me. God, would you right now just serve us all and serve him by meeting with us and teaching us from your word? Holy Spirit, would you just give Brian great clarity of thought and would you just fill this room in such a way that you teach us? Would you help us more understand how you've served us, God, and supernatural ways, and would that change our hearts through how Jesus has served us to then serve. So right now, I just pray for Brian and ask that you would just let him preach with real authority and real power and real freedom, that you would just come in our midst and that you would let him proclaim your word and that we would experience you, God. So I thank you for him. Please, God, meet with us. Please, God, use him mightily and teach us and change us in your name. Amen. Good morning, Delta. It's good to see you all this morning. I normally don't do this. I actually get a little uncomfortable when people ask me to do it, so I'm sorry. That's the benefit of me being up here and you being out there. I get to ask you to do uncomfortable things. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, if, if, and I'm, I'm gonna, I would prefer a response, because um, I want to know who I'm talking to this morning. I, I, I know generally who I'm talking to, but if, if the gospel, if the good news of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, if the work of Christ has saved you, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If the gospel has changed you, can I get an amen? amen? Okay, I know who I'm talking to. Thank you. Because this is important, because we, we understand that, that the gospel... Christ's work on the cross, his saving work in us has changed us. It saved us, yes, instantaneously justified, but it's, it's changed us. It, it is changing us. And that's an important thing to remember, remember this morning. I want to start with an illustration. When I, was, when I was in seminary, I had one of the sweetest gigs on campus. We had a hotel on our campus. It was, it was a small hotel, about 70 rooms or so. And uh, in the, the hotel had a, a big shuttle bus and a little, a little car that it would pick up people to uh, take people to the, from the hotel to the airport and from the airport to the hotel, vice versa. And so I got to, got to rub shoulders with a lot of people I didn't deserve to rub shoulders with. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, guest, guest preachers would come and, and speak in chapel. So, uh, so I got to share a 15-minute car ride with, uh, with some pretty, pretty cool folks. And uh, when I first started the, the, the job, I knew it was a sweet job, but then I started to realize it was a really sweet job when people started tipping you. I'd never been in a, in a job, really, where people gave you above and beyond what you, what you deserve. So I had my regular wages from my job, and, and every once in a while, you'd get, you'd get a tip. And let me tell you, things are a little different now. Um, I have a full-time job, uh, back then, I didn't. I had this very, very part-time job. I was a seminary student. Uh, my parents paid for, for my room and board. And so things were, things were a little tighter than they are today. So, so getting like a $5 tip, a $10 tip, you know, that's, uh, that's good news. That's good news. Um, it's amazing. Now I'd be like, well, why don't you just keep, well, no, I wouldn't say you just keep it. I'd still take it. Let's be serious. But, but that was it, was, it was a big deal for me. And I remember this, gosh, this had to be one of the first months first couple months I was, I was driving, um, and, and by the way, you could kind of tell who was going to tip you and who wasn't, just kind of based on their job. Um, like, you, you could research people, like, you saw who you're going to pick up, so you could Google them and, and find out what they did for a living, and often I'd do that, so I kind of knew who I was talking to, um, whether they were in the ministry or whether they were just a, a guest of the school coming to check, check the, the school out to see if they wanted to study here. Well, anyway, there was, there was this guy, so I, I Googled him. I didn't know about him. Apparently, he's, he's in the ministry. He was, uh, I believe, Chinese. I think he was from, from Hong Kong originally. Um, but he's, he, he came to the U.S., and he, I think he pastored a, a Chinese church, or he was like over an association of Chinese churches. And so I wasn't expecting a tip from him because he's in the ministry, and unfortunately in the ministry, this is not how it should be, but how it is is that pastors are notoriously underpaid. And, and that's, that's a sad thing. That's a whole other sermon in itself, how we should pay our pastors well. I get to say that because I'm not paid. We should, we should be taking care of Jonathan. Anyway, I digress. What, um, so my, my, my point is, this guy, I didn't expect much from him. I didn't know him, but I knew he was in the ministry, so I'm just happy to have a conversation with him. So as we were pulling up to the airport, I was getting ready to drop him off. I see him take out his wallet, and this, this made an impression on me. Because I remember him, I remember his name, I remember the conversation, I remember what he did. And this, we're talking like eight or nine years removed from that event. I remember what he did. He, he took out his wallet, and I don't think he really looked at what, is, what was in his wallet. 
And my memory's a little fuzzy now because this, this was eight years ago. But I'm pretty sure he didn't look. He just grabbed whatever was in there, folded it up and, you know, said some kind words and said thank you and gave me that wad of cash. Now, I was, was kind of shocked that, that, A, that he did this, but also, B, that he didn't show any concern like, okay, well, I'll give him this one. You know, took the wad and gave it to me. So I, I felt this in my hand, said thank you. And, of course, I'm not going to, you know, count it right in front of him. That would have been a little awkward. But I put it in my pocket, and, and so before I drive off, or as I was driving off, I, I counted it. And let me tell you what, it wasn't, it wasn't a crazy amount of money. I mean, it was maybe $20, $30, and it was just a weird, like, couple tens and fives, a bunch of ones. It was, it was just an odd assortment. And what, te- what he's telling me, and I forget the words he actually said, but it was basically like, I know the position you're in, and I want to bless you. I know that things are tight. I think he, he, was, he has a PhD, so I assumed he was in seminary at one point. He was a graduate student, so he knew how hard things were. And he was, he was reaching in his wallet with, with no regard for what was in there, and he gave it to me. And that left an impression on me. And to this day, sometimes a man and I will go back and stay at that, that hotel. And I don't say this to brag, but I say this to illustrate a point. It left an impression on me. This guy's service left an impression on me. So that when we were at that, that hotel, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a big shot or anything, and I, I normally don't be like, hey, here's a 20, son, thanks for your service or anything like that. Well, he, there's this guy at the counter, and he checked us in. That's about all he did. But he was studying. I knew he was a student. We talked briefly. And so I, I handed him some money. I'm like, man, I just, I know things are probably tight. Go out and get, get a bite to eat or something. And um, so I, I say that not to brag, but to say that what that gentleman did for me his act of humble service, his act of love, left an impression on me to the where I still remember it and it affected how I lived the rest of my life. And I, I hope, hope to live in, in, in a better way than I'm, I'm doing now and being more generous when it comes, comes to money. But what that man did left an impact on me. And it's not a perfect illustration. It's not a one-for-one one scenario. But what, what we see, what I saw that man do for me is what we see in this text today. Is my wife read? Jesus is going to do something amazingly incredible for the disciples, something that I know they would never forget. They're going to remember this for the rest of their lives. They did remember this for the rest of their lives, and it impacted how they lived. Last week, John talked about that we as Christians, this is why I asked who I was speaking to, we as Christians, we are saved because of God's work, we're changed by the, jo- by the gospel, and that means something. That means that we have attached ourselves to Jesus Christ, that we are, as John said, his disciples. So we look to Jesus Christ. What did he do? What did he teach? How did he live? And what do we do? We do the same things, right? That's the essence of being a disciple. You're attaching yourself to someone, following after someone. What they do, you do. What they say, you obey. And so this morning, we're going to see that Jesus Christ was a servant. Therefore, we should be servants as well. If you will, if you're still there, please turn to John 13. We're just going to walk through this text together. It's a beautiful picture of, of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of love, a beautiful picture of service. Read with me in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when, the, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John, the author, the Holy Spirit, the author, is telling us what's going on. So they're in the upper room. The Feast of the, feast of the Passover is about to happen. This is a time in, in the Israelite calendar where it was a happy time. It was a time of remembrance. It was a time where they remembered what God did for them in bringing them out of Exodus and setting them free from slavery. <clears throat> and Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So Jesus is fully aware of what this time means. Jesus, being omniscient, knows everything, obviously, because he's God, right? He knows what's going to happen in the, next, in the coming days. He knows this is his last meal with the disciples. He knows it's his last meal with his friends. Maybe the disciples knew this, maybe they didn't. I, I, I want to say they probably didn't fully understand. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what this moment was. And then he says, During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to, back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So, so Jesus knows what's going on. If, if you know the story, which I hope you do, um, Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, betrays Jesus. We'll read in, in later, several chapters after this. You, you can read afterwards. Judas betrays Jesus. He turns him over to, to the officials to have him crucified. So Jesus knows this. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And Jesus, knowing that God had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows his time has come. He knows his time to die is coming very soon, knowing these things, very conscious of these things. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, knowing this is the final time he's going to eat with his disciples, knowing this, this is one of the last opportunities he has to teach them, to show them something, What's he do? He takes off his outer garments, ties a towel around him, gets a basin, and starts washing their feet. Now, as a 21st century reader, I don't think this text impacts me as much as it would someone reading this around the time it was written. Because I don't think, we don't, I know I didn't, maybe you do, I hope you do. I hope you understand this. I sure didn't. This was a learning experience for me. But we're going to talk about foot washing I don't, I don't understand what foot washing is. I mean, I barely even wash my feet in the shower. I just let the, let the top come down, I mean, and uh, take care of it. That's maybe why my wife is disgusted by my feet. I don't know. So I don't know much about foot washing. But let me tell you about foot washing. So I've had to have a, do a little reading on this. So I'm heav heavily reliant on some other people for this. But this was a necessary, regular thing in the ancient in ancient times. It was as necessary then as brushing our teeth is today. As necessary then as brushing our teeth is today. I think that's, that's a good illustration. It's something they did all the time. It was, it was necessary. It was hygienic. It's what they did. And here's why. Because let's talk about footwear for a second. So back then they didn't have shoes. They didn't have Air Jordans. They didn't have boots. They didn't have anything like that. They had sandals. 
And I'll say this, sandals in a loose sense of the word sandals. So we think of sandals today as something probably comfortable. Some sandals cover most of your feet in some situations. Not so their sandals. Their sandal was, was like a piece of leather, some straps that held it on the foot. So not, not much protection, right? It's, it's like you're just walking on a little leather mat. And not only footwear. And, and there's no socks, too, so you can't even pull the socks with the sandals. Does anyone do that here? Okay. We're good. That's another sermon. And let's talk about roads. So not only did they have sandals where everything from the road could get in there. Let's, let's talk about roads at the time. So, so dirt roads, right? No, no, not much paving. There were some stone roads in that time. And there was some a crude form of concrete. But even if they were a stone road, there was still a lot of dirt on it. There weren't street sweepers. There weren't, weren't street cleaners back then. But more importantly than, than just dirt is there was waste. And I say waste in a sense of not using other words. There was waste. There was excrement, we might say, human or otherwise. So obviously a lot of animals still in the town. The only time animals are on our streets are in parades. And who comes behind the animals in the parade? The guy with the pooper scooper, right? Not so back then. Everything just went everywhere. It was in the street. And, and I don't know, uh, humans at the time, I, they might just take, take a pot and, and throw the day's collection out in the street for it, for it to settle. So the roads were awful. And even if you go to Jerusalem today, um, when I was in seminary, I had a chance to take a class there. So we got to walk around the city, and there's and the old city of Jerusalem. Is, it's surrounded by walls, and in those walls are gates. There's a gate called the Dung Gate. It's very popular. A gate called the Dung Gate. And the professor we were with, he, he, said, he said it's called the Dung Gate for... For this reason, or at least this is the reason I remember, is that it's the lowest point in the city. So it's the lowest gate in the city, sorry. So everything in the city that would be on the streets, if it's going to exit the city and go out of a gate, it's going out of that gate. A dung gate. How many people want to live next to the dung gate? Not me. Not me. So if you put these two facts together, that A, footwear was not advanced during the time, B, that the roads were disgusting you can see that foot washing would be necessary. I'd like to read an excerpt from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the Bible we read to our little daughter, Audrey, most every evening. And uh, it's, it's providential because this is the story we're supposed to read tonight. <clears throat> it, says it says it well, better than I can. It talks about the disciples arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet, stinky feet. That's right, stinky feet. He says, now the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. And then it says this. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt. But it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. Only the lowliest servant would do this. So a lot of ancient literature talks about foot washing. And so we're able to see what, what, what foot washing was at the time. And here's a few things about foot washing at the time. So it was, it was the duty of the host to provide foot washing, let's just say foot washing services for their guests, either before a meal or after they arrived. But get this, it was never 
never the host's job to wash the feet. It was never the host's job to wash the feet. Either a servant would do it, or the host would give the, the visitor, the guest, a basin of water for them to do it themselves. See, it wasn't the host's job because A, it was disgusting, but B, there was a social stigma, a social, um, I, don't, I don't know the right word for it, there was, socially it wasn't, wasn't acceptable to wash someone else's feet. No one, with the exception of a servant or slave, was expected to wash another's feet. And in a household, if it had multiple servants and slaves, if it was a rich household, only the lowliest, not a servant, only the lowliest slave would wash feet. It was a disgusting, disgusting act of service. Richard Balkum, a guy I read about this, read this on, on this topic, he says this, talking about foot washing, he says, it was, in fact, the quintessentially servile task, the thing that no one else would do. In a household without slaves, everyone washed their own feet. Furthermore, he says this, in a society highly conscious of relative status, we're kind of conscious of relative status, but not so much as back then. And in, in, in certainly in, in, in the church we should not be, but in society in general, conscious of relative status. You know, well, this guy is the mayor. I'm just a citizen. Or this guy is rich. I'm poor. But back then it was even more so. Highly conscious of where you're at in the social spectrum. He says this, in a, in a society highly conscious of relative status, it would be unthinkable for the uniquely servile act, foot washing, to be performed for an inferior, meaning someone lower, by a superior, someone higher in the social scale. For a superior to perform the act for an inferior would be an incomprehensible contradiction of their social relationship. So people wouldn't even have a category for this. Other literature talks about, other literature talks about friends washing other friends' feet, which was still a, a very rare situation. It didn't happen that often. But that was a sign of, of love and respect. So we're talking peers. But never in literature, I don't think anywhere in ancient literature does it talk about a superior washing the feet of an inferior because it was disgusting, it was, it was degrading, it was, it was an act of, act of service that no one except a slave or a servant or yourself would do. So does this paint the picture? Do we know a little more about foot washing than we first walked in? I hope you do. I hope you realize how, how this was such a servile and humiliating act. And then we get back in the text. Let me read verse 5 again. Then Jesus, he, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And as he's going along, he comes to Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? That's a good question, right? Peter knows the, what's going on at the time. He knows that, that only slaves and servants wash people's feet or you wash your own feet. Certainly not someone higher than me. Certainly not Jesus. Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now. 
But afterward, after Christ's death and resurrection, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And that's a right response, right? I think if we were in Peter's position, eating a meal with Jesus, eating a, 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 a meal with a guy, not just a guy, a God-man who we knew who he was. We knew he was God. We knew he was this, this awesome maker of the universe. The disciples knew who Jesus was. Maybe not completely knew who he was, but they knew enough to where Peter's response is right. You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Jesus takes this, this, this physical act, and, and as he often does, turns it spiritual really quickly. He says, if, you don't, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus is, is symbolically talking about washing in the sense of a, a spiritual clen- cleansing. So Jesus takes it spiritual. And then Simon Peter kind of gets, he says, oh, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he continues that, that spiritual metaphor. I, I kind of didn't get this at, at, at first reading because I think, okay, if I, if I take a shower and I walk around for the day, I don't need to just clean my feet again. I need to clean all of me. But I think a good interpretation of, of this is, is Jesus is saying, listen, once you have been forgiven of your sins, you, you don't need washed again. However, you will keep sinning and so this act of uh, a semi-cleaning, not a full, complete cleaning, Jesus is, is continuing that metaphor. And I, I could say a lot more on this. This isn't my main point. Um, but Jesus is saying, the one who has bathed, the one who's been clean, my be, does not need to wash except for, for his feet. Certainly will keep sinning, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He says, you are clean, but not every one of you. He's speaking to his disciples. Why did he say that? For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. So he says, not all of you are clean, continuing that spiritual symbolism, that spiritual metaphor. So summarizing this, Jesus, the Son of God, stoops down and does the lowliest act of service that he could do for his disciples and his friends. Jesus performs an unimaginable act of service for his disciples. So we see, friends, that Jesus Christ, our Master, our Lord, our Savior, humbly served his disciples. He served his disciples in this event, right? Jesus, I I don't think we can, I can say this enough, Jesus Christ, God himself, stoops down and cleans his friends' feet, his disciples' feet. He became a servant, performing the lowliest of servile deeds. And not only just for his friends, it doesn't say he washed the eleven's feet and then he's like, Judas, sorry. He washed Judas's feet as well. So Jesus was a servant in this instance. But even more than this, Jesus served his disciples then and Jesus served his, serves his disciples today. Because think about, think about just Jesus in general, not John 13, Jesus. Think about Genesis to Revelation, Jesus. Before all time, Jesus, with the Father, eternal, co-creator. God created, God the Father created through the Son. Jesus is holding everything together. 
He's from eternity past. There was no time when he was not. He's glorious, majestic. Everything's perfect where he is. But what does he do? He emptied himself. How? See, he didn't, when he came to, he came to earth, he, when he came to earth, he didn't give up his deity. He's like, okay, I guess I'll quit being God for 33 years. No, he kept his deity, but what did he do? How did he empty himself? He took on human flesh. So it's like, this is a bad example, but trying to climb a mountain, and you think, how could I empty myself before I climb this mountain? Well, I could cut off my legs. That makes mountain climbing pretty hard, right? That's not what Jesus did, if, if we're using that example. Rather, Jesus kept his legs, his deity. He was fully God. And what he did, he put on flesh. He put on humanity, which, as we all know, is hard, right? It's hard to be a human. It's not easy to live, especially it's not easy to live by God's commands. So Jesus put on like a 1,000-pound vest and started climbing the mountain. Bad metaphor. Never use that metaphor again. It's just for the situation only. But Jesus, he emptied himself. He put on human flesh. He lived a human life. He did human things. He had human feelings. He had human frustrations. He lived like us, right? This is a stark contrast to pre-flesh Jesus, right? He's with God. He's comfortable. He has perfect love, perfect union with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Everything's perfect. But he loved us and came to serve us. He lived a human life. He kept God's laws perfectly. How hard is that? It's hard for me to keep God's laws for like 10 minutes. But Jesus did it for 33 years, living a perfect life. He served us in this way. He died a human death. How? Not just a human death. He, he didn't, you know, I don't know, what is an easy death? He didn't die an easy death. He died the worst death ever, a death, death on a cross. And not only just a death on a cross... He wasn't surrounded by his loved ones. He was mocked. He was spit upon. His friends scattered. The guys who just, he just washed their feet a, a matter of hours ago, a day ago, and all of a sudden, shh, no friends, gone. So he's dying the worst death possible in the worst way, mocked, lonely, rejected, left by his friends. And why did he do all these things? He did all these things because he loved us. And he wanted to serve us. So to serve, he became a servant. To serve humanity and to serve you, to serve me. Because we were sinful, dirty, separated from God. Jesus Christ came to earth, took on human flesh, was weakened. He lived the perfect life that we needed to live. He died the death that we deserved to die. And he paid the penalty for our sins. So Jesus on the cross, when he dies, he absorbed the whole wrath of God that was directed toward me and towards you. He served us, and he served us in that he's given us eternal life, giving us the best gift ever, all because that in love incomprehensible, he chose to serve us. Because he, I mean, he didn't have to. We, we don't, a lot of theologians argue about this. Maybe it's a valid argument, but... Was, was there some obligation Jesus had to come to earth and live the life he lived and die the death he, lie, uh, he died to, to save us? I'm of the opinion that I don't think he did. I think in love, he chose to come 
and be among us and live a perfect life, die the perfect death. He did this in love. Yes, brothers and sisters, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was and is a servant. And we see that in the text. We see that in his life. Now let's finish finish our verses. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, so he showed them what to do. He gave them an example, that example that changed their lives since that point, the example that they'll never forget. And he says this. He starts to teach. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus talks about what John talked about last week, right? Jesus is given an example. Jesus is our master. We are his disciples, so we should do what he does. And it's very clear in the text. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And he finishes saying, hey, if you do, if you do these things I've told you, you're going to be blessed. So we see two main things in this text. That Jesus served his disciples. And not only just served them in a, hey, here's a cup of water, or here, hey, Jesus, could you pass the bread? Not that way. Jesus served them in a way that was unthinkable, that he didn't have a category for, because he loved them. And then the second thing we see is that Jesus tells his disciples to do the same. And this leads me to my main point. Don't worry, that wasn't an introduction. My main point is this. As Christ's disciples, we are servants. As Christ's disciples, we are servants. That's probably the least profound thing you're going to hear all day, right? That's like Bible 101, Christianity 101. As Christ's disciples, we are servants. And since we are disciples of Christ, like John talked about last week, we follow Christ's example. First John says this, by this we may know that we are in him. So how do we know that we're Christians? How do we know that we're saved? How do we know that we abide in him? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what Jesus says, right? If, if I'm your teacher, your Lord, your master, if you're my disciples, you need to do what I'm doing for each other. So as disciples, we follow Christ's example. Jesus served, so we served. It's right there in the text. So Delta, my, my call to action for you this morning is we're talking about whole church, our identities, worshipers, families, servants, disciples, witnesses. This is our identity. When we become Christians, we receive a new identity. And these are aspects of our identity. We are servants. 
And what do servants do? By the definition of servants, servants serve. Servants serve. So specifically in this passage, he calls his disciples to wash each other's feet, right? So as to avoid confusion, the principle isn't foot washing. See, thankfully, we have more than just sandals. We have shoes. We have socks. We have boots that protect our feet. So also, we have paved roads. We have cars. We have sidewalks. And we even have these little things you stand on and go like this, and it goes wherever you want to go. Segways. Your feet don't even have to touch the ground. Which, if you're looking for a gift for me, I'd like to try it. We have brooms, we have street sweepers, we have sanitation systems, and Springfield does not have a dung gate that I know of. So Jesus isn't saying, Jesus is saying wash each other's feet, wash one another's feet. But more than that, Jesus is saying because things have changed in our our environment, and I'm not saying God's word changes because our culture changes, but I think here's where we need to think about this. Jesus is saying, not just look at this foot washing, but he's saying culturally, look at this lowly, menial, humble service that I am performing for you and go and do likewise. Whatever that lowly, menial, humble service is. Does that make sense? Right? So some people wash each other's feet today, and that's fine. Some denominations have this along with baptism and the Lord's Supper as like their their ordinance. Yeah, we wash one another's feet. Whatever. That's not, I, I don't believe that's the point. Because in the time, foot washing was the lowliest, menial, humble service that you could do for another person. And I think that's the principle. Whatever that lowly, menial, humble service is, Jesus is saying, go and do that. So what this means, what this means is that as Christians... Nothing is beneath us. And this is hard for me to hear because my mind doesn't always operate that way. Sometimes I keep my, mind, my mouth from saying what my mind thinks, and that's a good thing. But my mind doesn't always think that way. So as John said, I'm an elder, one of, one of five elders of, of this church, and it's a position of responsibility. There's, there's some authority that comes with that, and I really enjoy being an elder. And I can't... As an elder, say, I'm a good thing we, we rent this building from Goodwill so we don't have to clean the toilets. But if we owned our own building and the toilets needed cleaning, I could not say, I'm not going to clean that toilet because I'm an elder. That's, that's beneath me. You ever hear me say, I'm not going to do that because I'm an, el- I'm an elder? You better tell the other elders. That's my permission to you. We, as disciples of Christ, this example of foot washing shows that nothing is beneath us. Jesus did the most lowly of tasks, so we should be ready to do them as well. But here's the thing. The good thing is, right, not every act of service is that low and that degrading. But Jesus says, nothing is beneath you. Be willing and do the lowliest things for, for, for your neighbors, for your friends, for your church, and everything else that's above that, of course, of course, do that as well. So as followers of Christ, how do we serve? 
How do we serve? Where do we serve? What do we do? Yeah, I mean, whose, whose feet can I wash? Well, I, I just, there's so much we could talk about this, but we're pressed for time. I don't want to go into too many directions. But I just want to look at the text and see what Jesus did and see if we can pick out some application for today. We do what Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did is he humbly served because he loved. So we humbly serve because we have loved. We talked about Jesus his whole life. Love is what brought him to earth to live among us, to live a perfect life and, and die. And we see this in the text that he loved his disciples and washed their feet and humbly served them. So since we have been loved and served, we should love and serve. We humbly serve because we love. The second thing is this. <clears throat> we humbly serve within the church. So we see whose, whose feet did, did Jesus wash? Was it, was it just anyone? No, he, he washed his disciples' feet. So that's a, a, a point we can, we can take to heart, is that we humbly serve within the church. The, the church, I guess we could call the church 12 people at this time. I don't know. There's probably some more disciples than, than just the apostles who were, who were here, some people who liked Jesus' teaching. But, but Jesus served those around him. He served within the church. He washed, washed the disciples' feet. So how do we serve within this church? Well, we serve in, in a couple ways. The first is physically. Let me, let me just tell you, I don't have much written down about this, but there are so many things. I mean, we've got a church like a Sunday morning. A good Sunday morning is like 85, 90 people. That's a solid Sunday morning for us. So we're a small church. But for a small church, we have so much going on. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a very, very good way. See, we as a modern church sometimes can get this thought that, boy, if we could just make things simpler and just go back to, to the early church and you see what, what they did. You know what? We've got all these things. We're so busy. Well, you know what? The early church had the same problem as well. If you read in Acts, some, some people start grumbling, complaining to the, the apostles that, hey, our widows aren't being taken care of. They're not getting their food. These other widows are getting their food and our widows are, are neglected. They're not getting what they're supposed to. And so what do they do? They pick people whose single job is to serve and they call them deacons. And our church has deacons. Our church has two very good, faithful deacons. And their job is they serve. They serve. So that's how you can serve within the church, physically, just doing things. If you want to know how to serve, please ask. We have so many things you could do. That's my takeaway for that. Financially, we serve within the church financially. You know, it seems like I don't know, I, I was going to say this is one of the most convicting verses in the Bible for me, but the list is growing and growing. First John says this, By this we know, um, excuse me, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for our brothers, for the brothers, for the church. But if anyone has the world's goods, stuff, material, money, if anyone has the world's goods and sees him, his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, see, brothers and sisters, sometimes financial troubles come up within the church. God has blessed us so much. As a church, we're doing great. But, but families sometimes have a rough month. And, and I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of this not even coming 
to the elder level. Like some people, we encourage you, if you have financial difficulties, see an elder. We, we can see if the church can help you. But I've heard of, because I'm an elder, I, I hear these things, that so many things, so many financial needs are taken care of within our body without even the elders really knowing about it, without a request for the church. And that's a great thing. Because we're, we're taking God's word seriously. We see our brother in need. If we have the word, world's goods, if we have money, if we're able to help them, we should do this. Why? Because God loved us and we're loving them in that. So we serve physically, we serve financially, we serve freely. All through the New Testament, it talks about gifts being given to believers. First Peter talked about it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And Romans says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So, so those two verses combined, if you've been given a gift by God, which, which Scripture is pretty clear that every believer is given at least one spiritual gift, and they're, they're varied, there's many ways that you can serve the church. Whatever gift you've been given, you don't have the right to kind of keep that back and, and parcel that out wherever you want. You've been given that gift for a purpose. So we're to be free with those gifts. We're to be free with those gifts. So we serve physically, we serve financially, we serve freely. And then finally, we serve for the purpose of building up the church. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, so five different functions. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So whatever gift you've been given, whatever talent you have, you've been given that gift for a purpose. You may benefit from it personally. Like if, if you're a good, if, if God has given you the gift of teaching and you serve that within, within the church, but also you're a teacher in a school, great, right? But the purpose of the spiritual gift is so that the church would be built up, so that believers would be more sanctified. So we serve within the church physically, financially, freely, and for the purpose of building up the church. I'll quickly hit the other points. We humbly serve outside of the church as well. See, whose, whose feet did Jesus wash? He washed his disciples' feet. And who was included in that number? Judas, right? So we would say Judas is, at that point, outside of the church because he's, he's going to betray Jesus. And really, in, in this, we're, we're just following God, the Father, who gives good gifts to the world, right? We call this God's common grace. So the rain not only falls on the righteous, not only falls on those who love him, but atheists get rain too, right? The sun shines, grows crops for people who love him, but you know what? Also, the sun shines and grows crops for people who hate God. That's just God's grace being spread out through all. So also, we should serve outside the church. And here's the thing. We should do this for the purpose of witness often. I mean, there's, there's times where you just serve because you, you love someone and you just want to, to be there for them, but also you serve so that they might be more receptive to the gospel. I'm going to butcher this phrase because I wrote it down, but it didn't make this copy. So um, Amanda told me this, and she's like, Tom Cheshire always says that. He says, people will never care what you know until they know that you care. Like that same word, flip it around. People will never care what you know until they know that you care. So if I just knocked on my neighbor's door and said, hey, I'm Brian, I go to Delta Church. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's a good thing, right? And I, I need to do that more often 
than, than I do. That, that might have an impact. They, the Holy Spirit might work in, that, in, in those words. But if that's coupled with me shoveling their snow, uh, taking Amanda's cookies over there, doing all these good things, serving them, and if, if then I say, hey, let me tell you about why I do this, because I've been served by, by Jesus, they're going to be more receptive to that, right? I, I would hope so. That, that seems to be a true, a true scenario, a true statement. So we serve for the purpose of witness. And lastly, wrapping all this up, we serve because, and this is kind of icing on the cake, we serve not only because serving is good for others, serving is good for us as well. Serving is good for the servant. Back to 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So God said, if you know you're supposed to serve, if you know you're supposed to live a life of humble service, being willing to do the lowliest of the lowly tasks, you will be blessed if you do these things I've taught you. What is this blessing? I don't know. It doesn't say. It says you'll be blessed. I can think of some ways you'll be blessed. I know that when I serve Amanda and serve Audrey, and I'm not bragging, it's kind of like, well, I have to serve. When you get married, you have to serve your wife. It's one of those things. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, look at me, St. Brian up here. But when, you, when I got married... And all of a sudden, I have to live with a Christian who I see sometimes 24 hours out of a day. Let's just say character flaws become apparent. My gracious wife, she never rubs my nose in it, but and sometimes I don't even have to, she didn't have to say something. I know, like, man, I just made Amanda mad because I just mouthed off to her, or I responded like a second grader, which she used to be around all day, every day. But then, when little Miss Audrey came, that was another point of sanctification. So I had to I serve Amanda. Then when Audrey came, I have to serve her. I don't have a choice to, but to serve her, right? Diapers need changed. Least favorite thing for me to do ever regarding the care of my daughter. Hers was the first diaper I've ever changed. And... I mean, we talk about dung gates and we talk about waste. and It's a crappy job. Amanda told me not to say that, so um, I couldn't resist. Character flaw. But see, so my point is, and, and I seriously am finishing. My point is that we will be blessed because in serving, in not putting ourselves before others, in putting others before ourselves, Somehow, some way, little by little, we become more like Christ. And that's the goal of our life, right? Post-conversion, to become more like Christ. So when we serve, we are blessed because we become more like Christ. So Delta, I love you guys. And, and let me just be just frank with you. I, I love how you all serve. I've been served incredibly by so many of you. Just think, after Audrey was born, we didn't have to cook, like, a legit dinner for, like, three weeks, four weeks, I mean, six weeks. I don't know how long it's, it was. It's great. And I've been served in so many other ways, so many little things that I probably will never know that were done for me. I've been served. So I would, I would encourage you, if you're serving well, man, keep that up. That's awesome. You're, you're becoming more like Christ. You're being blessed. You're following your Lord and Savior's example. 
But, but maybe if, if you're like, well, I, I can't think of the last time I really served someone or served the church or, or served, served God, my encouragement for you this morning would be to, to start serving. Whether that's as little or simple as serving your spouse, serving your family, or it could be as grand as, as coming and seeing an elder and saying, hey, I really want to serve in this ministry because the, the needs are there. So keep serving or start serving. And when we serve, it's easy to say, boy, this, just, this is awful. I, I hate this. This is the worst ever. I'm serving. I hate what I'm doing right now, but Jesus told me to do it. I'd encourage you to challenge that thought, challenge that feeling, and flip that around being like, you know, I'm serving and I'm becoming more like Christ. Look what Christ did for me. Look what Christ did for his disciples. He did the lowliest of the low. And say, thank you, God, for this opportunity to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful. And thankful isn't even the right word. Um, it's not strong enough of a word, Lord. But thank you for the way you sent your son to serve us. Jesus, thank you for, for serving us. God, thank you for this picture of humble, menial, lowly service that we have. God, thank you for this, this picture of foot washing. And God, I, I pray that as we strive to become better servants of you, better servants of one another, that we would look to your son's example. We'd see what he did and we would emulate that. And God, I pray that as we, as we leave this place, we would, we would view ourselves not only as worshipers and disciples, but also as servants, that this is our identity. And I pray we would go from this place, we would serve in the church, we would serve outside the church, we would serve our families, and we would serve you, serving you, serving others, because we have been loved and served by you. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your, your word, which instructs us. We thank you for your spirit, which enables us to do this and gives us power to do it. God, as we leave this place, I pray that we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.